Let's uh, turn our Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 13. Genesis, chapter 13. This is our second lesson in a study on Lot's life. We noted previously some of the advantages that he had, and he had a lot of advantages. He was saved. That's the, the best thing in the world, is to be saved. And it's, it's sad when children of God, I've heard them, I've heard people who are supposed to be children of God, and they, they don't think that's the best thing there is. And when you mention it, remind them about being saved. Oh, well, yeah. But really it is. As we just sang, every longing the Lord fills. He takes care of it all. I want to read here in Genesis chapter 13. We'll read the entire chapter and we'll have many things to expound upon. We're going to be looking at Lot's first steps in backsliding. His first steps in backsliding. We saw his advantages. Now we're going to look and see at his backsliding. And I, I mean this sincerely. There's not one, one positive thing about Lot's life except that he was saved. Right. There is not one positive thing. Not one like where you have with Samson. You know, Samson, you've got a lot of things wrong, don't you? We see he's listed in Hebrews 11 as a hero of faith. And we see in the end of his life, he cried out unto God, didn't he? We don't read that one time with Lot. There's not one single good thing about his life mentioned other than he's saved. This is not someone to pattern your life after. Genesis 13 and verse 1, it says, And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents, and the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land, And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. Thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, 
that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou camest unto Zor. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. And Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And the Lord said unto Abram, After that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward and southward, eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it, to thy seed forever, and I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it, and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent, and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Now, <clears throat> I want you to remember that Lot is our brother in Christ. He's saved. We know that from Genesis chapter 19 when God delivers the righteous out of Sodom and Gomorrah. We know that from Peter's writings where he's uh, it's told about his righteous soul and how he vexed it. And so he's our brother in Christ. And I want you to notice, if you would, if you'll turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I hope that you'll see this in the message as we study it. And I want to read here in verse 13. And I want you to notice this. Lot has the same salvation that every one of us in this room who's saved has. Amen. He didn't have a lesser salvation. He had the same salvation that the Apostle Paul had. Well, what happened? And, and the same thing can be said of you and I. We have the same salvation that Paul had, that Peter had, John had, that our Baptist forefathers who were saved had. We have the same salvation. We're all equally saved in Jesus Christ. We're all equally standing on the rock, the Lord Jesus. We have, each one of us has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And here in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13 it says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. So, the temptation that Lot underwent wasn't some super duper temptation, was it? It was common. That means that it's the same thing that all other children of God face. It's the same thing. Same thing that you deal with is the same thing that Lot dealt with. Same thing I deal with. Same thing other preachers, other uh, churches, other church members, other parents, other grandparents, other husbands, other wives. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. The same thing that the Corinthian church 
was dealing with. It's common. We have a tendency to say, yeah, but you don't know. Oh, yes, everybody knows. Because they're going through the same thing. That's why we can bear one another's burdens. That's why we can come over and talk to a brother or a sister can talk to a sister in the Lord and we, they can identify with these things. May not always be willing to admit it, but there can be an identification of it. Some sympathy can be had. But I'm, I'm glad for the next part of this verse where it says, but God is faithful. You see, that's, that's the difference in our temptations is that God is faithful. That's what makes all the difference, isn't it? God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above all that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. But I, I wanted to show here that Lot's backsliding in his life, it wasn't some super duper uh, more than anyone's ever faced temptation. It's the same you and I have. And so I want to look here that his struggles weren't abnormal. He had the same flesh that you have, that I have. He has the same salvation and I'd say, if anything, we have a greater advantage because we have the whole revelation of Scripture. And Lot didn't. He had revelation of God. He had been with Abraham, but he didn't have 66 books of the Bible. He didn't have all that God was going to reveal, whereas we do. And so having said that, you know, we're all under the similar circumstances as Lot. I want you to know the first thing in Lot's steps of backsliding, and these aren't in order of importance or in chronological order, but I want you to know, first of all, Lot does not pray. He doesn't call on the name of the Lord. And I want you to read with me in verse 4. And I want you to note here, it says in verse 4, it, it, let's back up and read verse 1. It says, And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the south. So they come out of Egypt. Sarah's with him. Lot's with him. And they, we go down into verse 4. It says, Under the place of the altar which he had made there at the first... And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. No mention of Lot also calling on the name of the Lord, is there? You see, you can't pray by proxy, can you? Well, that brother, he's, he's doing my praying for me. That doesn't work, does it? Look in chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Remember, we read in, in verse 5, And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son. And so, here they go. They're leaving the, the land of Ur of Chaldees. And they're heading to the place that God has told them to go to. And in verse 8, it tells us here, And, and he, that is Abram, removed thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. 
So, again, Abram is praying unto God. He's calling on God's name. But we never read this about Lot. Chapter 14, I don't want to read this this morning. But Lot is taken captive. He's a spoil of victory for some folks. And there's no mention of him praying. Chapter 18, we find that the Lord's messengers come to Abraham and tell him they're going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And what does Abraham do? He cries out unto the Lord. You know, if there be this many righteous, will you spare the city? If there's this many, will you spare? And he, he whittles that number down, doesn't he? Genesis chapter 19, the, the two angels come in and the Bible tells us in verse 1, there came two angels to Sodom and even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom and Lot seen them and rose up to meet them and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And you can read this entire chapter. Not one time does Lot pray. Not once. It is absent from his life. And all of the accounts of Lot in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, not one time does it say that he called on the name of the Lord in this fashion in prayer. I want you to look over with me, if you would, in the book of Acts chapter 9, just for a a comparison... Acts chapter 9. And read, if you would, here in verse 11. This is the, I'm sure you're familiar with it, the account of the salvation of Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus Road. And after that, we find that the Lord comes to a man by the name of Ananias in a vision. And in verse 11, I want you to notice what he says, And the Lord said unto him, that is unto Ananias, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And and I want to say a few things about this. Number one, Dead people don't pray. You can go out to the cemetery, there's nobody in the cemetery praying. Living people pray. It is a function, a work. And you know, maybe sometimes that's our problem is we don't think it it, it works. We don't think that prayer is work. Maybe you don't feel like you're accomplishing something. And so we don't put time and energy and effort into it. But prayer is evidence of life. It's evidence of spiritual life. It's evidence of an abundant life. 
I have to say that, you know, even Jesus prayed. And He knew what was going to happen before He prayed. We don't know what's going to happen. That ought to drive us even more so to the throne of grace. A saint's prayer life is like your spiritual pulse. Everybody here has a pulse. They're different depending on age and circumstances and, and, and some other things, but uh, uh, average, you, know, you have different kinds of pulses. You have a resting pulse. You're just sitting there resting. On average, depending on your age, you should be around 70 beats a minute. Well, you ought to have a, a, a spiritual pulse as well and it ought to be in our prayer life. And I, I really believe this. As our prayer lives go, so will go. As our prayer lives go, so will this church go. And I imagine, and maybe, maybe it's me projecting, maybe it's, but you know, I've been with God's people all my life. I've seen folks that by the only time they pray is when they go to sit down to eat. And I've been with God's people who don't even do that. But I can assure you, if all your prayer life consists of is when you sit down to eat and you thank God for the food and ask a blessing on something for those 30 seconds or however long it takes, if that's your prayer life, you don't have a very good spiritual pulse. It's weak. Say, well, I'm better than Lot. Well, that's not saying much, is it? We sing hymns like Sweet Hour of Prayer, yet most have experimentally never known such a thing. Have never participated in a time of prayer. And I don't literally mean I don't mean a literal hour, but they haven't participated in a time of prayer. This is the surest way to follow in the footsteps of Lot is to absent yourself from God's throne of grace. The Bible tells us, look, look if you would over into, into the book of Hebrews chapter 4. And there's countless verses throughout scriptures, probably uh, at least one, in, if not more, in every epistle that Paul wrote encouraging us, spurring us, admonishing us to pray. No, pray without ceasing. Brethren, pray for us. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14, these wonderful words, it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest, that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, 
Let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So he says, we have a high priest who knows exactly what we're dealing with. Who knows what our feelings are. He's, he dealt with the same infirmities. The only difference between us and Christ is He didn't sin. And because of that, He says in verse 16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Now, there's a difference between boldly and arrogant. Boldly means we can come in a way, not like, well, I belong here, but because of the merits of Christ, I can come in to God's throne. See, in the Old Testament, they couldn't go in to the Holy of Holies. Because of Jesus, that's exactly when we pray, that's exactly where we are. We're right there before the throne of God. We're right there before the Ark of the Covenant and the, the, the mercy seat. That's where we've entered in when we pray. The very presence of God. We don't have to come in there timidly fearing, am I going to be destroyed like the Old Testament priests would have been if they would have went in there? No. We, we can pass in there because Christ has opened up the way. So we ought to come boldly. We can come boldly expecting Him to hear our petitions. We can come boldly expecting Him to answer our prayers according to His will. And He goes on in verse 16 and says that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Does anybody here need mercy? Does anybody here need uh, grace to help you in a time of need? This is where it's at. This is where it's found. So we are implored, encouraged, besought to come unto God's throne. This lot didn't do this. We don't find it mentioned once at all. And I just reiterate, this. if you want to check your spiritual well-being, just look back at your prayer life. I'm not trying to beat anybody up and, and, and say, okay, well, I haven't been like I need to be. Well, start doing it. Well, how do I start doing it? Fall on your knees and pray unto God. Set a time. I mean, there, remember, in the book of Acts, it was, it was a certain hour of the day and what were Peter and John doing? They were going up to the temple to pray. Set yourself a time. Get your cell phone. Put it, go into the alarm clock. Put it in there. Put in the notes. Time for prayer. And stop doing everything else. And I assure you that everything else will be presented for you to do at that time. But stop it.
Now, I don't watch a ton of news on the TV. I do intake news, but there ain't nothing new on there Amen. than there was the day before. Amen. And and I get it, you know, but instead of watching the news from 5 to 7, because they got it on from 5 to 7, in certain channels they got on 24 hours. Turn it off and take everything to the Lord. Now, everything's going to come to your mind. Everything you need to do for the whole day is going to come to your mind. Everything, if you do it in the evening, everything you didn't get done or everything you need to do tomorrow is going to come to your mind. You're going to have to actively shove that aside. Just like we've shoved prayer aside to do these things. Well, I, I, I need to pray, but I need to finish this up. Well, I'm praying right now, and I'll, that's going to have to wait. Because this is the important thing. That you probably struggle with those things. I'm sure everybody in this room struggles with those things. You sit down to pray, and, oh, I need to do this. Well, maybe so, but probably not right then. Lot didn't have this. He didn't have these things. He, he didn't call on the name of the Lord. And I'm convinced, as I've been studying and have studied Lot's life before, and am now studying it with an interest of preaching it, that this is really the, 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 the beginning of, of his downfall in his life was he didn't have a prayer life. Even when he was with Abram, or Abraham, he wasn't praying with him. So, let's consider that and consider ourselves. Secondly, if you'd look in these verses... Verse 10 and 11, we find here that Lot chooses by sight and not by faith. He chooses by sight and not by faith. And you know the occasion, their herdmen were fighting with one another, and Abram comes to me and says, there, should, there shouldn't be any issue between us. We're brethren. And, and that's a message. I've, I've heard that message before. I've, I've read messages under that title. And that's true. There shouldn't be any quarrels with brothers in Christ, should there? We know that sometimes there are. And so Abram goes to Lot and he says, Listen, you choose where you want to go. Now, Abram was the older. He was the uncle. He was the one that God had promised this, but Abraham conducts himself in a very meek fashion. He doesn't exercise his rights. He defers on lies. It's like you, you figure out where you're going to go. And again, what's missing 
He doesn't pray, does He? The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7 that we are to walk by faith, not by sight. We are to walk by faith, not by sight. We are to walk by faith, not by wishful thinking. And there's a difference. Because I know some folks who say, well, I'm just trusting the Lord, and all they're doing is wishing for things to happen. There comes a point in time when you have to add feet to your prayers, and you have to also do what God's called you to do. And not just sit around saying, well, we'll see what the Lord does. In Genesis chapter 13, verse 10, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zor. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves, the one from the other. The Bible tells us here in Verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes. But he didn't lift him up to heaven, did he? He didn't look to his master. He didn't look to the Lord to see what the Lord would have him to do. He lifted up his eyes and he just looked round about himself. I want you to see something in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. <clears throat> That this looking with the eyes has always led to a downfall with God's people. Remember David, he walked on top of the housetop and he saw Bathsheba, didn't he? No wonder Job made a covenant with his eyes. You know the story here is the woman, she's in the garden, the serpent comes to her and asks her about what all they can and can't eat. And she, she tells him, and, and in verse 4, the serpent says, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now verse 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. What was the first thing she did? She saw, didn't she? Eve, or the woman, she's not called Eve yet, the woman at this time, she didn't walk by faith. She didn't believe God. Our eyes are spiritually deceptive. Every time. Every single time. Remember, as, as Brother Duncan preached there in Matthew 14 on Peter walking on the water, what did Peter do? He took his eyes off the Lord and he looked at the storm and he began to sink, didn't he? Well, what had changed? Nothing! Except where Peter was looking. The storm was already happening or it was going on and it came up. If he had just kept looking at the Lord, 
he wouldn't have began to sink, would he? Well, here's Lot. We read about the woman she saw. And again, this is the common temptation, isn't it? Aren't we tempted with everything there is with these eyes? You know, that's, that's why three days ago, companies spent millions of dollars on commercials for television for the Super Bowl. Because they know that this here gets people to do things. That's why you drive down the road and you have all the billboards there are. Because they understand how the eyes work with the brain, with the synapses, with all the things to entice on this carnal body, this fleshly body. Sin has corrupted all of it. It's the same thing with pornography. It's the same thing with all of these things. It is to tempt through the eyes. And Lot looked up and he saw this. We also read in verse 10, of Genesis 13, it says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld. He beheld. And we know what behold or beheld means. It means to look upon and ponder. There's another uh, way that it can be looked at according in studying things, and that is that it is to advise one's self. So we... we we changed that, or we put that in there, and we read, and Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, or he advised himself all the plain of Jordan, or he advised himself about all the plain of Jordan. Lot was his own counsel. He was his own consultant. You know, that there's a saying, if you're the smartest person in the room, you need to change rooms. Lot here consulted with himself. He never says, as Saul of Tarsus did, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Lot lifts up his eyes and he beholds beholds it as Proverbs 3.5 says, we are to trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. That's not what Lot did. He did lean unto his own understanding. We've all done it. You probably heard the phrase, well, God gave you a brain and you need to use it. I'll tell you, this brain's corrupt. It's, it's a sinful mind. <coughs> Lot looked out and it tells us here what he saw. He saw that the plain of Jordan was well watered everywhere. Well, naturally, he's, he's, he's got cattle, he's got animals, they need to drink. Clearly, this is the place to go. Bible tells us that before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, 
The plain of Jordan was even as the garden of the Lord. It was like a paradise. Describes it as like the land of Egypt. Remember, Moses is writing the, the, the book of Genesis. He's the human author of it. And so when he describes it, all the children of Israel knew what that was like because they'd just come out. They understood what it was like to be in the land of Egypt. They just left there. It was a great place. It was one where they had rivers and rains and, you know, a fertile area. This is where you want to take cattle to. You wouldn't take cattle out in the desert, would you? Man, this, this is clearly the place to go. Remember, here's Lot leaning on his own understanding. The issue was again that they couldn't dwell because of, of their substance. <clears throat> but there's something Lot didn't see. There's a lot of things you and I don't see, don't we? We get tunnel vision. I mean, we see the well-watered plains of Jordan and we don't see anything else. And we sit there and, oh, well, this is this and this is this and man, it just, everything. You ever write down like a pros and cons list and, oh man, look at all the pros and there's hardly any cons and somebody else comes along and goes, I don't know what you're talking about. Here's all the cons. Here's all the reasons not to. Because you get tunnel vision. I get tunnel vision. Oh, if we do this, this is what will happen. Not necessarily. Here's what Lot didn't see. Verse 12 and 13. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. He did not see that. He didn't see how wicked his neighbors were. He didn't see the exceedingly wickedness that they did because he was captivated by the well-watered plains of Jordan and the easy life he'd have. Oh, we're not going to have to dig any wells. It's already a well-watered plain. We're not going to have to labor. All oh, the cattle can have being being a, uh, they can free range. There's plenty of grass. We're not going to have to store it up. We're not going to have to have barns. We're not going to have to plant anything. This is just easy pickings. He didn't see the sinners, did he? He didn't see how exceedingly wicked they were. You know, the Bible tells us that God's ways are not our ways. You read that in Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. You know, God sees everything. He knows the end from the beginning. In fact, if you, you look in Exodus chapter 13, just briefly, Exodus chapter 13 when the Israelites came out of the land of Egypt, 
the straightest, straightest trip would have taken them right by a group of people by the name of the Philistines. But that's not how God took them. He took them, and you know, they kind of did an end around and came around. And the Bible tells us why He did it in Genesis chapter 13 and verse 17. It says, and it came to pass, or I'm sorry, Exodus 13, verse 17. Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea and the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. You know why God didn't take them that way? Because it wasn't good for them to go that way. He saw the Philistines and He knew His people and He said, if I take them that way, they're not going to be able to handle it. So He took them a different way. Lot didn't see the wicked men of Sodom and their exceeding wickedness. If he didn't, maybe, maybe, if he had inquired with the Lord, God would have said, No, the Sodomites over there, they're wicked. I, you don't want to live by them. Or maybe he would have said, No, Lot, that's not where you need to live. And not told him why. You know, God doesn't have to tell you why. He's not required to. And we're not entitled to an answer. I'd like you to notice here the Bible tells us that Lot chose. Exodus, or I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 13, he chose. Again, Lot, he just keeps just going down a path here, doesn't he? He chose. And verse 11, Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. You know, the Bible tells us that there are some things that God does not delight in. He doesn't delight in certain things. And sometimes people choose them. Do you remember when David had sinned in numbering the people? He had done it to boast of his, his kingdom, his kingliness, the empire that he had. And the Bible tells that God smote him in the heart, or he smote himself, that David's heart was smitten. And God raised up an individual and he comes to David and he says, listen, you've you got to pick from three things. Three things. You can have famine, you can be pursued by your enemies, or you can, you can have pestilence. You remember what David chose? He said, let us fall into the hand of the Lord. He said, I'm going to let God choose. Even in punishment, David said, I don't know what to pick. So he fell into the hand of the Lord. Lot didn't do that. Lot said, I got this. Lot was presumptuous. 
I understand we have to make decisions, but our decision ought to be, Lord, what will You have me to choose? What will You have me to do? Enlighten me. Give me understanding. Yes, You've given me a brain. And, and, and you know, my brain says this is the option. But, Lord, what is it that You want me to do? Is there something I'm not seeing? Lord, what is it that I should choose in this? I've got, you know, I know the pros and the cons. It's our, I don't know them all, but these are the ones I've got. Was there something else? Kind of like five and a half years ago. What are, you going, what are you moving to Florida for? Well, that's what the Lord wants you to go. Oh, is it a bigger church? No, it's about the same size. The more money? No, it's less money. What are you moving for? That's what the Lord wants us to do. You, and again, you can't explain spiritual things to carnal people. And that'll never happen. So he chooses this. And he goes, and the Bible says that he dwells there. He dwells there. The word dwell means to sit down or to inhabit. He planted his flag here. And that was the beginning of the end for Lot. Now, just like you and me, he could have been recovered out of all of this. Again, remember, God is faithful. And that what we read when we started out? In fact, he is recovered. He goes in, he's taken captive. God sends Abraham in there to get him out. We read about he's going to destroy. God sends messengers. They take him out. What's he do? Every time. He never prays. One last thing I'd like you to see about here in Genesis chapter 13. The Bible says in verse 12, it says, And Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan. Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. And then in verses 14 through 18, we have a conversation where the Lord speaks unto Abram. And he, again, speaks to him about the covenant, doesn't he? And I want you to notice the last verse, it says, Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Well, if you look back and if you remember, we start out with this chapter how they had gone back to Bethel unto the place of the altar. Abraham had built an altar. You go back into chapter 12 and verse 8. It tells us that Abram built an altar unto the Lord and called upon his name there. And I know we already talked about calling on the name of the Lord is in prayer. But I want you to notice here, 
Lot is never said to build an altar. He never worships the Lord. He never exalts the Lord. He never praises God. He never renders Him honor or glory that's due unto Him. He never sacrifices at all. His life is absent of sacrifice. Lot's life is a he is a consumer. He consumes the blessings of God, but he doesn't return any praise unto him. Remember the the the, the teaching about the lepers that Christ gave, how that there were all those lepers that he healed, but only one returned to give him thanks. Well, Lot wasn't that one, was he? He never built an altar. He never took stones and erected them up and took one of the calves that God had blessed him with and, and slayed it and, 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 and offered any burnt offerings for his sin, any trespass offerings for his sins. He never offered any peace offerings, sin offerings. He never offered any, any meal offerings. You know, we have those in the book of Leviticus, and I know that comes after, but he never makes an offering unto God. His whole life, Now, Jesus made an offering for Lot, and God accepted that offering because Lot was saved. But Lot, being a person who's saved, he's now to worship God. And how do we worship God? We offer sacrifices. Can you imagine someone saved and they never offer God a spiritual sacrifice their whole life? That's Lot. I'm going to ask you this. Do you read a one time where God even, Lot even talked about the Lord to anybody? Once. Remember what happened? His sons-in-law thought he was mocking and they didn't listen to him. That's, that's Lot. It is a horrific existence for the child of God. There's a hymn. I don't think I've sang it here, but it's called Wasted Years. Lot's life from a spiritual aspect of pleasing God is a wasted life. Lot is not going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He's not going to. I hope that every one of us here who save, that our desire is to be well-pleasing unto God. Not not so God can praise us, but that we'll have a life of praise unto Him. One that is fitting Him. And so, where does this begin with? Well, it starts with prayer. That's the thing that everything went downhill from Lot. He he didn't pray. He walked by sight. He chose by sight. He didn't see things. I remember as a young boy, and as a young man, even as a babe in Christ, 
that there were things I would ask my dad and he would say, well, he would explain it. So I said, man, I never saw that. Why, why did he see it? Because he was praying and he was walking by faith. He was spiritually mature. And, if, and there's things you ought to see today as you've grown in the Lord that you didn't see before. Just like there's things I see that my kids don't see. Well, don't do that. You could get hurt. Well, how could I get hurt? Well, you tell them, they go, oh, well, I, didn't, I didn't think of that. <laughs> of course you didn't. You're a kid. Kids don't think of that. Kids go, this looks like fun. Let's do it. But as you grow in the Lord, you begin and you grow and you mature and you see things and God reveals things to you. Lot, Lot never, never got there, did he? My desire this morning is not, as I said, to beat anybody up, but to show us the dangers of not having a prayer, proper prayer life, of not walking by faith, not trusting the Lord. I hope that you'll be spurred on, that you'll be encouraged to pray, have a prayer life. Not just have one, but to have a vibrant prayer life. That the Lord will bless you and help you and enable you to serve Him. That when it's all said and done, you'll get to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I promise you. Those are things we want to hear more than anything in all the world. To hear our Savior and Master say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You don't have to do what Paul did because you're not called to do what Paul did. I'm not called to do what Paul did. You have to do what you have been called of God to do in that capacity, in that sphere, in that way. That's all you have to do. So don't, don't say, well, I need to start doing like Paul. Well, maybe like him, but not the same things. He had a prayer life. He was praying. He witnessed to people. He, he sacrificed. He served the Lord. He walked by faith. So those principles we need to do, don't we? So I pray the Lord will help you and bless you and we'll come out of here saying it's been good to be in the house of the Lord and that the Lord has shown me some things and I need to, we need to be serious about the Lord's work. I pray you'll be encouraged. So let's stand and we'll close.